Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. I'm still recovering from the deep sads that I have from finishing Final Fantasy XIV patch 5.3. That destroyed yeah, me last week. Yeah, you weekend. said that you were, like, legit crying, that it completely ruins you emotionally. Dang. Yeah, I, I cried through the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, it's something I will hopefully write about uh, in in the next little while, but there's a scene and people who played the game will know what I'm talking about. That's extremely touching. If you've ever like kind of said goodbye to a pet. So it's just, Oh my God. No, I don't want to, I said goodbye (laughs) to a pet this year. I don't want to be saying goodbye to more pets. I've said goodbye to, I had a very, very loyal German shepherd that had to say bye to once and reminded me of that. But there's just so many scenes in that game that, destroyed me and i have to give props to the english voice acting because it's so well done and that's part of what killed me i think someday i am going to sit down and watch a youtube recap of final fantasy 14 story because there's just no universe where i'm going to spend like 500 hours getting through this whole thing probably not there is a lot to get through but i'm sure there's like a bunch of story summaries that you could pursue i suppose so In the meantime, we got a lot of RPGs to talk about. With the console launches happening and various RPGs coming out, it's been hard to keep up with everything. So we're circling back this week, and we are going to be talking about a lot of the RPGs that have either come out already or will be coming out very soon uh, because it is a very, very busy period. They include WoW Shadowlands and Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, which is a little bit of a sleeper hit. And could be the hidden gem of 2020. So I am looking forward to, to talking about that one. Yeah, but that's one that uh, I am quite curious about. In the meantime, if you like the podcast, do us a favor and give us a review on our feed. Um, it increases visibility and it brightens our day. And you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And I twitch. <laughs> <laughs> You indeed twitch when you're nervous. (laughs) And I stream on Twitch on Mondays at the very least, where I'm streaming Super Robot Wars. Uh, That's at Cat Bailey TV. So we also have a newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday. It's written by Nadia. Nadia, what did you write about this week? Uh, It was a bit heavy this week because as we announced last week, US Gamer is laying off all of us and we will no longer be with the site. And what that means is um, I'm going to try to find a way to keep up the newsletter. I don't know how, but I will. Uh, I did get some suggestions from some very kind people who reached out and and were very consoling about the whole matter. So thank you very much for your support. It's really meant a lot to us over this past uh, week or so. Um, Yeah, thank you. A a lot of you have reached out and and given us very, very nice uh, compliments and and hopes and yes indeed please do keep in mind that the the podcast will survive we will we will live and carry on for you so that was basically what my my letter was about just assurances that even though we will no longer be tied to us gamer we will survive and we will be alive and the blood god cannot die it can't bleed out because it's a blood god fight blood god for everlasting peace the blood god will always fight for everlasting peace or fight Blood God for everlasting RPGs, i.e. Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> everlasting Final Fantasy fourteen, because God knows that doesn't end. Yeah, Acts of the Blood God has become very important to me over the past five years or so. And 
I certainly would not Me want too. it to go away. Even if ReadPop weren't letting us keep the name, we would find a way to spin it up in a different way. So the the the, the podcast has just come too far. It's grown too much for us to just simply go, well, that's the end of that. Because when I was with one up back in the day and I was doing active time babble, it was always kind of a kind of a messy thing. We would record at irregular times. There wasn't really a format. And mm. this one is much more, I want to say, there is a time that we record. We have a very set format. I mean, the two of us have been doing this for a long time. Like we really know we we've really settled into a groove with this podcast. So I don't want to get this so. up. Yes. And one thing I really hope to do when the plague subsides is that we get to go to more events and do more live recordings and, and all of that. Yeah. That would be a lot yeah. of fun. I'm going to finally drag you down to San Francisco or I'll go to, up to Toronto or something. I want to go down to San Francisco and see the sea lions. I want to go up to the Toronto and see the hockey. <laughs> we have much of the hockey in, in Toronto. We can go to a Marley's game. Forget a Leafs game. I don't have 500 bucks for tickets. What is a Marley's game? The Toronto Marley's uh, part of the Ontario Hockey League. They're very good. I'll drag you down to a San Jose Sharks game. That'd be fun. I do like the Sharks logo. I don't know them very well, but they have a cool logo. I like the Sharks logo too. And Sharks fans are really highly engaged with the team. When uh, During non-pandemic times, there are <laughs> Sharks sweaters all over San Jose, downtown San Jose during a game. Like, they really love the Sharks down there. That's cool. I like how places where you don't really grow up with hockey and it's not really part of the culture, you get the, that small but really dedicated fan base. Everybody who grew up in the South Bay circa the 90s has a special affection for the Sharks because that was their team. Mm-hmm. Not not the the Niners or the Warriors or the A's. Like those were all kind of in the north the northern part of the area. The Sharks were theirs. It said San Jose. And so <laughs> the you'll hear our people like our friend mutual friend Shivam just constantly like I love the Sharks, man. It helps that the Sharks have been good. They're pretty much their entire existence, even if they've never actually won anything. Well, at least they try. They try very hard. I know that much. They try very hard as they chomp away at their enemies. They do. They have a, they're very chomp. fierce. Chomp, chomp. All right. Let's get on to the RPG news. First item of business. Nadia, we are not that far away from Cyberpunk 2077 coming out. Maybe. What will likely be the most divisive RPG of the year. It's going to be very exhausting to cover. I'm not looking forward to it. But we continue to get these video drops called Night Wires or Night City Wires, I think they're called. Night City Wires, yeah. Yes, from CD Projekt. And the latest one showed some gameplay on the Xbox One versus the Xbox Series X. And Nadia, I don't think you're going to want to be playing it on Xbox One. <laughs> yeah, um, it looks a little, what's the word I'm looking for? A little chunky, a little I think you'd you hear framey. Yeah. That's, yes. <laughs> yeah. We're really getting to the point where uh, I'm finding that out with Yakuza, which we'll, we'll get to. Um, older consoles are struggling because developers are making these games that are supposed to straddle two generations. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, the, the older generation is really starting to show its age. And that's fine, except God, I cannot find a PS5 or even an Xbox Series X. Like, they're just not happening right now. Yeah, I mean, you got Wario 64 sending you text notifications, right? Yeah, I do. Um, actually, I should really... I don't think I have the text notifications up. I should get that done. But uh, Yeah, no. That's the only way you're going to be able to do it. Uh, if I'm lucky. It's like 
Canada has uh, Shoppers Drug Mart, which is our, our major pharmacy chain, and they sell electronics, including consoles. And yesterday, some they had some Xbox Series Xs go up for sale, and the whole site just crashed. <laughs> so it's like you imagine someone like I need to reorder my insulin and they're trying to refresh the page but you have all these fanboys trying to get an Xbox what's blurring the line funny. even more is at the beginning of the last generation you would have games that would be the PS3 version and then there would right. be the PS4 version but there wouldn't be overlap whereas no. there is actual overlap here like I am playing the if I get it on Xbox Series X, I am playing the last generation version of Cyberpunk until the next generation version comes out. But there are material gains to be had in terms of frame rate and performance. It's like a PS4 Pro Plus when you're playing on a PS5, right? You're going up to mm -hmm. that next, next level. Yeah. So uh, as you say, uh, Cyberpunk is not going to be great on previous gen consoles. Unfortunately, a lot of us are not going to have a choice. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you've played the way that you possibly can. It's like playing on a five-year-old computer, especially if you have a, a launch PS4. It's fine during the story cutscenes, but maybe not so fine during the combat. And by all accounts, it's extremely bad performance on previous-gen consoles is one of the big reasons that it's been delayed to this point. Ah, that would make a lot of sense. Um, it's frame rates that are a bit chunky don't bother me that much because I got it just came off Hyrule Warriors for the Switch which is <laughs> does it have city. like bad frame rate issues it's it's hard to explain sometimes yes you can tell the game is slowing down because oh my god the Switch is, is kind of getting up there in years and there is a lot going on on the field in Hyrule Warriors at the same time Mosu games higher Warriors included almost have their own pacing where it is purposely supposed to chunk and it works for the, that purpose, but I feel like that's still kind of different from, you know, say, trying to run through Nightwire City and everything's just going gunk like as you go along. That's my sound effect for, for slowdown. We were talking about cyberpunk uh, in the US gamer slack, such as it is these days, uh, this morning. And uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm the only one who is even willing to say nice things about it anymore. Everybody else is extremely down on it for a variety of reasons. And there was speculation that even the combat's not going to be super great just because it's an RPG shooter and RPG shooters don't have an amazing uh, track record over the years. <laughs> I have no idea. I think the shooting and the action looks pretty good from what I've seen of Cyberpunk. But I mean... Uh, We've we've dealt with shooter shooting actions like in Fallout, which is God knows not the greatest shooting system in the world, but it's there. Um, I'm trying to think what else we've done. Like I know it's not an RPG, but uh, Red Dead Redemption Two doesn't exactly have the greatest uh, gun mechanics on Earth, but I, I went through that because well, at the core of all of these games, you still have a, a fun story and great characters, and that's what Cyberpunk has to supply. And at this point. I'm not really looking for Cyberpunk to say anything meaningful. I'm prepared that it's not going to say anything really deep or meaningful or life-changing. I just want it to not make me cringe all the time. If he can do that, I'm sure I'll have fun with the game for what it is. It's weird that CD Projekt is getting this inordinate amount of crap for the way that they're portraying Cyberpunk trappings. When it's not like they invented this whole thing themselves. No. They're pulling it from source material. They're being faithful to the source material. You know what I mean? They're adapting it. 
Yeah, um, I am not familiar with the source material that that well, but some people say they're not adapting it well. I, I can't mm-hmm. say one way or the other, but um, I think the main fear is that not so much in the game, but the way the Twitter account has been run for Cyberpunk has not been great. Uh, you've had people like, you know, making fun of, of transgender people and making fun of pronouns mm. and stuff that should not be an, uh, a, a, to- a topic of mockery in a cyberpunk universe where, where everything is all about challenging the, the status quo and going to the extreme and being comfortable with who you are while you fight against a, a society that wants you to be something else. And I can't say for sure what the attitude of the Twitter account will be funneled into the, to the actual game itself. If it's not, and we get a whole different tone uh, from the game versus the Twitter account, that'd be great. That's fine. But at this point, I don't think anybody is sure what we're going to get. Yeah, well, that's the game's marketing, right? Exactly. Which is, tends to be a whole different thing. I've seen things that have had absolutely freaking horrible marketing to the point where I've just avoided it like the plague. Mm. Like the the Star Trek Lower Decks cartoon show. Like the... The, the the marketing was made it seem like this ridiculous Rick and Morty thing, right? It did, yes. And by all accounts, it's actually good Star Trek. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'll watch it. People are like, yeah, no, give it a chance. It's great. And I'm like, fine. And how many movies have been marketed just horribly with bad trailers oh, and such? So. Oh, all of so many movies ha- and kind of present a movie that's, sorry, so many trailers present a movie that doesn't exist. And then you see the movie itself and you're either shocked at how good the movie is versus the trailer or you're just like, hey, this is nothing like the trailer. I've been cheated. Uh, It's definitely a wait and see thing, but I think Mm -hmm. you're right in that there's going to be a lot of tiresome discourse. And that's a bit of a shame because there will be a lot of discourse on social media. My favorite kind of discourse. (laughs) It'll be a bit of a shame because this will be probably the last major release that that U.S. gamer will be seen out on. And I really hope it's not a bunch of negative press and stuff like that we shall see in the meantime on a more positive note i suppose uh game award nominations are here and the best rpgs of the year are being recognized uh some good ones in here um final fantasy 7 remake had several nominations including best game of 2020 uh so did hades Yes. Uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Genshin Impact, Wasteland 3, and Persona 5 Royal all featured in the best RPGs. And then there was some controversy among Nintendo nerds over the lack of Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Nadia, how are you feeling about these nominations? Um, I'll be honest. I don't want to say I forgot about Definitive Edition because it's a great game, but it's not really a new experience. I feel like it, I don't know if it needs to be there. Um... Because let's take for comparison Persona 5 Royal. There is a lot in Royal that is different and new. And, and well, you know how the, the difference is between like Persona 4 and Persona 4 Golden. It's like that. So I feel like it is in many respects a whole new game. Uh, whereas Definitive Edition, it certainly looks a lot better. Um, and it's a great game. I, I love Xenoblade Chronicles very much, as we all know. But I never really considered it that it would have a, a spot in in the game awards i feel like it doesn't really need to be there uh everyone else other than genshin impact i mean we've all con- we've we've talked about the controversial genshin impact many many times uh, i i could totally understand why it's there but whatever all the other nominations i'm pretty happy with um particularly hades i'm really glad that hades was the game of the year that's kind of came in and busted down the door and said hey everyone kind of like last year we had disco elysium do the same thing 
It's the token indie inclusion in the game of the year list because it's just that popular. Yeah, and hell, it deserves it. It's a great game. Yeah, I think it's the best game of the year. Um, Final Fantasy VII Remake, I was not expecting it to have this kind of legs. People just really freaking love that game. And I think a lot of it is to do with just how well realized the characters and the story are. And that helps to paper over some of its flaws, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Final Fantasy VII Remake's strength is definitely its characters, its voice acting, its presentation. Um, I don't know why, but the deadpan delivery of Cloud saying to Wedge, really sorry about your ass, is my favorite (laughs) line in a video game of the year. (laughs) So, yeah, I can totally see why I got the nomination, because I know it's not a perfect game by far. We've gone over its, its significant flaws, but... Um, I am definitely looking forward to part two, and I think they really, really nailed what the characters are about, particularly Cloud. I was really scared they're going to make Cloud like the Advent Children emo edgelord he was, but no, they've made him the unsure kind of goofy guy trying to be cool and kind of be. He is kind of cool for his 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 attempts to be cool, if you know what I mean. So I really like what they did with the characters in this game, and I'm happy it's on the list. Yeah, it was strikingly faithful to the source material in a way that I was really not expecting from modern day Square Enix. And as I was writing in my quick and dirty rundown of the nominations for Game of the Year from the Game Awards, Final Fantasy VII Remake, the fact that it came out and everybody broadly liked it and that people, some people absolutely loved it, maybe makes it deserve a Game of the Year nomination in of itself just because what an upset. Nobody expected that. <laughs> yeah, I think nobody really. I think since Final Fantasy VII was in the works for so long, people expected to be deeply disappointed and they weren't. The people, despite acknowledging its flaws, really enjoyed it. Do you see any snubs in here in terms of best RPGs? I'm, I'm not really seeing any that stand out to me. Uh, I'm sure I'll regret saying this later, but I don't see any myself. I mean, you could always include Trails of Cold Steel 4, which, of course, I love Trails, but 4 is just kind of more of what Trails of Cold Steel is, so I can understand why I didn't really get a nomination. Uh, but yeah, this year we had some, not a whole lot of RPGs, but some really good, solid ones, so I can't complain too much about the list. Quality over quantity, right? Pretty much. And the big, and the, the really big one isn't even coming out until December, so it's going to be weird when we suddenly start relitigating Cyberpunk uh, during the Gaming Awards next, uh, this time next year. Yeah, and I think that's the same with Like a Dragon, because that came out so, mm. I don't know if it came out after nominations or right at the point of nominations, but that I feel like might not get the due it deserves because of uh, the timing. Wasteland 3, I'm kind of like, eh, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's it's nothing special, all things considered, but I think it's a good solid RPG that you can reasonably include in the best RPG category. I just I don't think it has even a prayer of winning, but yeah. I think I think it'll be Final Fantasy VII Remake that wins best RPG and Game Award nominations. I'm thinking that. I'm actually wondering. Oh, it could last... be Genshin Impact. I hope it's not Genshin Impact. I hope it's not Genshin Impact, really but do. it could be. It could there are people be. I'm told it's better than Breath of the Wild. There are so many people, to, like, <laughs> not so many people, but a few people really want to die on that hill. And I'm not climbing that hill. <laughs> I'm just not. Good. Good. It's covered in, it's covered in shit. You don't want to cover the <laughs> climb that hill. It's covered in broken glass and... and, and skulls and, of our enemies. Oh, and sorry. wide-eyed anime characters with neon hair. No thanks. <laughs> okay. I'll say this about Genshin Impact. I've actually been thinking about going back to it recently. 
Well, have fun with that. <laughs> I don't Call know. It's, it's not so bad. Come on. <laughs> no. It's fine. It's fine. And I'd probably go back to it if my if my PlayStation could handle it. Maybe if I had my PlayStation 5. Is it not available on PlayStation 5 yet? Uh, I mean, yes, in the sense of you can download any PlayStation 4 game onto your PS5. Right. So that's fine. Maybe it'll like handle that without dying the way it was on my PlayStation. And if I'm looking for a game to play on my PS5, it's right there. It's free. I'm not paying for crap. So Yeah, exactly. And you don't have to spend on the... Uh, the, the you know the gotcha aspect in the in the draws uh, unless you want to which yeah. I wouldn't recommend it it's kind of a bad idea yeah I'm I'm pretty good not spending on the draws but uh, hey I mean heck I play free to play games all the time and I don't complain about those so I guess I should give Genshin Impact its due when I finally have a PS5 we've been weirdly down on Genshin Impact um, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like it's probably better than we're saying it is. I, I think that maybe when, maybe I'm going to give it another shot and see if I can like really get into it. Yeah, I'll give it another shot if my PS5, if the PS5 will like come in ever. Okay. And finally, a bunch of stuff has been happening in Demon's Souls. We'll talk about that a little more. Uh, my favorite news about Demon's Souls this week is that apparently there was this mysterious door and the whole community spending all their time trying to figure out how to get it open. Uh-huh. And the way that they figured out how to do it was that you had to go into the fractured world, which is this kind of remixed version of Demon's Souls. And they were able to find a new currency and they had to go around and collect all of this currency and then give it to a certain person who would give you a rusted key and <laughs> finally opened the door and gave you some baller armor. That's pretty cool. I like it when games hide really, really deep secrets like that. Although I would have appreciate it more if there was someone I don't know a dog behind the door who says lol you wasted your time like just <laughs> troll all the people that would have been more in keeping with the spirit of souls wouldn't it it would and I think Undertale did the same thing Some, I can't remember exactly how it went but there was a, a just a big challenge long challenge that you got the annoying dog at the end laughing at you I don't remember yeah it is a very conventional remake in that respect isn't it like from software would have found a way to subvert it somehow I feel like yeah, um, there is a lot of Demon Souls discourse going on because, of course, the PlayStation 5 version is out. Uh, our reviewer, John Learned, liked it very, very much. Indeed. And I suppose that is our cue to jump over to the next segment in which we talk about all the RPGs that we've missed or we'll circle back onto them and talk about them with a little more detail. So that's coming up next. Don't go away. Okay, it's time to talk about all of the RPGs that we missed. Time to catch up on them. Talk about some of the ones that deserve your attention. Maybe the ones that don't deserve your attention, like Godfall. <laughs> I see here you put on the notes the Lee Carvalho's put putting challenge of 2020. <laughs> the ball really is in the is. parking lot. You have selected It's a game no. where people are like, you got me demon so oh, It's Godfall. Godfall. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> I love you anyway. I mean, I mean, nobody's going to remember. It's the definition of a launch game, right? No one's going to remember this in a couple years. 
Yeah, um, the general consensus is that it's very, very pretty, but very empty, which unfortunately seems to be the case for a couple of launch titles, but it's par for the course as far as new console launches are concerned. Yeah, I checked it out just a hell of it to see if it's kind of worth digging into that much more. And it admittedly is a very beautiful game. It has that mm-hmm. next-gen feel to it. Um, but otherwise, it's kind of a grab bag of elements, you know, your looter slashers and your monster hunters and your whatevers. And the enemies aren't that interesting to fight. And the loot is an end of in itself, which could be OK, but you have to be kind of invested in the world for that to make you want to really get into it. And yeah. so Godfall is just a brainless hacking slashing game, ultimately. Yeah, I think basically uh, to sum up, GameSpot's review, uh, the game is built on monotony that would fall apart <laughs> entirely if the combat wasn't there to prop it up. Yeah, the combat sounds all right. It's definitely... I mean, the interesting thing about this current generation is there are so many games that are coming out for the PS4 that you can go back to for the Xbox One that you can kind of bring up, ascend to your to your new console. So I feel like even though this generation of uh, launches, title launches, is not exactly exciting... Uh, at least there's some good old games you can play and really beef up <laughs> beef up their, their statistics. I feel like games like Godfall and Avengers and any hack slash looter shooter, looter slasher type game might be a little doomed at this point because people have their games that they want to play in that particular space and they're not leaving them. So exactly. people are playing Destiny Beyond Light. They're not going to play Godfall. Come on. <laughs> hey, everybody, let's play Godfall. Imagine saying that the to your The kind Destiny of person group. who would play Godfall is already playing Destiny Beyond Light and Warframe and everything else. Yeah, I think Godfall is if you are some lucky bastard who manages to go into a GameStop without dying of the plague and you see a PlayStation 5 and you grab it alongside Godfall, like that's who's playing this game. Here's an idea. Play Ghost of Tsushima Legends instead, a game that is actually kind of cool in terms of how it handles multiplayer. It had that free Legends update. It's right. pretty boss. Like, Mike did a big article going, hey, uh, Sucker Punch kind of made this look effortless where Avengers 1000% dropped the ball. Wow. that's not Yeah, he made it sound really cool. He loves Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, I, I'm not that big of a fan of Ghost of Tsushima, but... I mean, it's pretty cool, ultimately, and The Legends is this really meaty, cool co-op multiplayer update that ultimately is built on a kind of a stronger foundation. But uh, this is so Eurogamer said this about Godfall. The problem with Godfall is that its beauty is much is pretty much all it's got, though it dresses mm-hmm. itself up as a Diablo-esque looter shooter and dresses you with gear and weapons at pretty much every opportunity. There's so little else to sink your teeth into beyond its gratifying aesthetic. The story, a tale of two warring brothers, of which you, Oren, are one, is intriguing but fails to deliver its plot or essential characters in a convincing or meaningful way. The loot is plentiful, but with so much gear available at virtually every turn, it cheapens, maybe even negates any desire to update or retain favorite pieces. So, Godfall, a game so generic that even the name is boring. It really, like, it just slides right off your brain. Uh, it can mean anything. And I'll tell you what, all this talk about how such and such game is trying to live up to Diablo 3 makes me want to go back and play Diablo 3. <laughs> I had <laughs> Diablo a lot 3 of... is good. Yeah, or you should play Path of Exile. It's good, too. Yeah, uh, I just remember, gosh, it was probably around this time of year. It was on Christmas time that when I just kind of sat on my couch and played Diablo 3 for hours and hours. It was good. 
We're not that far away from Diablo 4 being a thing, though. I have my doubts about that one because of Blizzard's talent drain. There's that, and I worry about what kind of uh, what kind of shenanigans are going to get up to when it launches. What kind of what kind of loot boxes or whatever are we looking at? Are they going to try? Are they not going to try? Are they going to try and then you know step back a bit when the outrage comes? It's not going to be a clean release, I don't think. Well, Diablo three wasn't. I mean, that was eight years ago. As wild as that sounds, when I was still making active time babble, but. When Diablo 3 came out, they had all these really stupid ideas about the real money auction shop and all of that stuff. And they proceeded to backpedal from every single one of their ideas. (laughs) So I'm hoping that they remember, hey, guys, this was a really stupid, bad launch. Let's not do that again and and not try it for Diablo 4. I wish they would just make StarCraft 3. That's all I want. Yeah, poor StarCraft. I feel like it deserved better. And I'm not even a StarCraft fan. Speaking of games that I kind of found a little bit boring and wanted to bounce off, we're, up, we're on a, to a really positive start to we this are, particular segment. We are. We're all about positivity here at uh, the Axe of the Blood Guide. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, mm. a game that mm. I really wanted to like, Nadia. Yeah. But I played. I spent a whole weekend playing it. I, I sank some hours into it. I got some gear. I, I got a big old sword. I was upgrading my character. I was going down the melee path. I was stomping on enemies, crushing their heads. Nice. In England. Sang songs <laughs> in a longboat. Did Take some raining. England. Some looting, some pillaging. It's it's pretty. It's fine. I feel like I'm completely wasting my time when I play this game. Now, did you like Origins? Uh, sorry, Odyssey? I've never been able to get into an Assassin's Creed game. So this is more of the same for you, just not really yeah. clicking. The thing is that everybody praises Odyssey, and I think rightfully so, because mm. the the Greek setting really stands out, but the Greek setting isn't a sell for me. No, because me I I don't like, you know, that ancient Greece antiquity doesn't really it's not really my thing, right? I, I really like it, but I feel like Hades has really perfected that, and I won't like anything yeah. else for a long time. It says how freaking good Hades is that it completely sucked me into its setting of ancient Greece and yeah. Greek, Greek yeah. mythology. See, because you're not really a huge fan of it, but it really got you in there. AC Valhalla is a game that should be straight down, you know, right down my alley. Like Exactly. It's... England, like medieval England, it's got Vikings in it, Scandahuvia, it's lots of snow and pillaging and looting. Uh, yeah, like I'm into it and I'm into the aesthetic when I'm playing it. But um, yeah, it really feels a little too witchery at yeah. the end of the day. <laughs> and it's interesting. It's not like you're the only one saying that. And just because you're you're not a big Assassin's Creed fan, I feel like that overall, in fact, I know the overall reaction has been kind of eh. Like Mike gave it a 3.5, I believe, out of 5. Uh, Mike didn't review it. It was Reed McCarter, actually. Oh, okay. Freelancer. Right. Freelance, Freelance extraordinaire. Freelance, Freelance Viking. Yes, Freelance Viking, Reed McCarter, who's really into history and everything. And he points out, and I agree with him, that... There's a really good story to be told about kind of the Viking annals and all of that. But every time it starts to get really good, it jumps back into the modern day BS. And it's like, why? That's always been a point of contention, hasn't it? That why do we have the modern stuff going on? I just, I don't like any of the ancient conspiracy stuff. I don't like the Templar versus Assassin's conflict. Just give me good, meaty, 
historical conflicts and stories that are people always say what why do you play assassin's creed because of the setting Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. why you care right i it's funny uh, assassin's creed uh, it's meh reception has kind of got me wondering about the other ubisoft game that's coming out very soon the one with the terrible name that i can't remember gods is it gods and monsters the one that looks like what breath of the wild uh phoenix rising phoenix rising sorry the old game was gods and monsters and it's yes Okay, yeah. So that looks kind of cool. I'm gonna make you play it. <laughs> oh, I'll play it. I, I I actually do want to play. It looks it looks neat, and I feel like maybe that will. Who knows? Maybe that'll be the surprise hit over the disappointment that is the new Assassin's Creed has delivered upon us. Yeah, I think maybe one of the things is that I don't particularly like AC Valhalla's combat. Like maybe even less so than I like Witcher 3's combat. Which Witcher three it's stiff but it also has a little bit of a rhythm and a flow to it right especially in how you use your magic powers in that game and fighting the monsters is always interesting because there's a real tactical element to it whereas assassin's creed valhalla is very hack and slash by comparison right yeah and i i think that uh rpg systems action rpg systems have just evolved so much beyond that in this generation that hack and regular hack and slash doesn't really do it for me anymore it is pretty cool to ride around in the open world on your horse and see camps. I do like camps. horses. I am pro horses. Yeah, no, that's pretty. Uh, medieval England is beautifully realized, and there's a lot to do. And but at the same time, riding around on a horse through kind of England doesn't really stand out to me in any way because <laughs> yes. you know it's, I, I was playing Witcher Three. I was playing Ghost of Tsushima earlier this year where I was riding around medieval Japan instead of medieval England. Heck, even driving around in Forza Horizon 4, admittedly a different experience, still, I feel like I've had that experience in a lot of ways. Yes. So it's hard for me to really get into it. Like, I was fine with it. It was kind of hypnotic. I spent, like I said, I spent the whole weekend playing it, but there was a point where I was starting to get mad because I was going, I could be playing, I should be playing Yakuza. What am I doing? Why am I playing this? (laughs) No, absolutely. When you when you start thinking about other games and why I'm not playing this, then you, you have a problem. It's like totally cool. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, it's baller and all of that. But uh, there's just better games to play right now. And I feel like I have a lot of games on my plate and very precious little time to really indulge in them. So yeah. I really want to make my playing time count. Yes, you, you have to make it count. You have to make each minute seem meaningful. Games are not for relaxation anymore. That's the old way. <laughs> the 2020 way is to stress out over games. Assassin's Creed, I mean, I try not to use this term very much because it's cliche, and I apologize, but it, it really is just this comfort thing, right? Where it's mm-hmm. not really engaging you. You're playing it, and it's washing over you, and you're having a good time, but at the end of the day, nobody's going to be like, oh yeah, that was incredible. You know, it's just content. It's the equivalent of going to an Italian all-you-can-eat restaurant where you know that the Italian food isn't amazing, but it's going to fill you up. I've never been to an Italian... No, I've been to once an Italian all-you-can-eat, but yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) I think my dad used to say, it's not very good, but there's a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's carbs. It'll fill you up. It'll keep you busy for a while. Yeah, I mean, Assassin's Creed is very much the empty carbs of uh, video games. Just like kind of tasty, but not amazing. Fill you up. And the next thing you know, you've gained weight and you haven't been eating anything nourishing. Bread makes you fat. 
<laughs> Bread makes you fat? Ah, <laughs> uh, Scott Pilgrim. Happy anniversary. Oh, it's the anniversary? Yeah, it's the 10th anniversary this year. Oh, my God. And, and Honest Dad's is gone. R.I.P.? That's my favorite part of the comic where they have that, that battle in Honest Dad's. It was a pretty good reflection of what the story was like. It's a shame that they didn't have that. I, I forget the reason they didn't have that in the movie. Yeah, I was really disappointed they didn't have that. Um, how did I think Kimber described it as, you know how when a baby is born, it screams at the sheer horror of being alive. And that's how she described Honest Dad's. And that was very, very accurate. <laughs> you do see it out the window when they're having pizza. Yeah, that's a, where was it? Uh, Batherson College, I think it is. Uh, that's a very, very familiar area to me. When I was, my optometrist is around there. And when I was a kid and I could not see a damn thing for years until my, pa- my parents finally got me glasses. And my optometrist puts glasses on me. And he tells me to go outside and stand and look and see what I can see and tell him tell him what I, I could see. And I f- saw this. The first thing I saw with clear eyes was the sign for Sneaky D's, which is this <laughs> riotous. Well, you've seen it on the movie. And that was my first first vision as someone with working eyes. <laughs> Sneaky D's. I love Nadia's stories of growing up. See, like you. So it's the 30th anniversary of the Super Nintendo, which, by the way, happy anniversary to Yay. the Super Nintendo. And we posted, uh, you wrote your recollection of how you were playing Final Fantasy IV and yes. how your jaw was wired shut and you threw up. Yeah. And I'm was- just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of that is you were editing that story and you just like typed in a private message and caps, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, it's this visceral feeling when I re- read those words, I could imagine it. I was like, ah. Yeah, that was, please read the, the, of course, the the article is out by the time you listen to this. But yes, for the the 30th anniversary of the Super Nintendo, I started thinking, well, what makes the the system special to me? And I started thinking of experiences I've had with it. It's like, no, I've written about that. No, that's not really that special. Oh, I remember when I was 15, sorry, 14, um, I needed major surgery to fix my jaw because I had a huge overbite and that involved breaking and resetting my jaw and that was the summer that i couldn't eat solids so i just stayed up and ate cheesecake and played final fantasy 4 and saw a huge centipede and, all. <laughs> and please read the article it's a little bit of, of scattered thought but it's a nadia story for you to take home it's a nadia origin story if i've ever heard one yes it's definitely a nadia or- origin story so Talking on the subject of more nourishing experiences, experiences that we're genuinely enjoying. Nadia, you've been playing Yakuza Like a Dragon. What do you think? It's great. Um, I have not gotten uh, extremely far. I have gotten through the intro, which is very, very long. But the good thing about the intro is even though it is very long and has a lot of reading and a lot of watching, it's so good you don't care. You're just like, okay, what comes next? What comes next? What comes next? So I've been doing that, getting through uh, the opening hours and... Even those are just great, learning about Ichiban, where he came from, what happened to him, his his time in jail. Uh, it's it's pretty it's a pretty fascinating game so far. And of course, I've done some of the combat, which is surprisingly simple in terms of menu-based commands. So everybody's like, man, I wish that I could move the characters around and have them do things. Uh, no, it's not I the don't, point. I don't necessarily agree, actually. I thought because that there was an option to do that, but I wouldn't take it. I like that. I, I sort of feel like the environmental stuff is almost incidental. It can help you yes. out a lot. 
but the focus is much more on properly using your abilities and uh, combining with your individual characters. And there's definitely a tactical element. If you can grab a bike and slam it over somebody's head, that's really great. But yes. it's more of a bonus than it is an actual necessary thing to do. You know what it's like? It's like if you're playing a regular, any sort of RPG with as many base and you get a critical hit. It's just something you mm -hmm. can't control, but it happens. And when it happens, it's like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and they don't... It's not a huge deal with the way that they move. Um, like, I haven't really had an issue with people getting blocked and everything. It's nice when you can get them all together and you can do the mega swing to just take out the entire group. That's really great. Yeah, it has. A, it's a really, as I said, it's a very menu-based system, but it's a very fun menu-based system. Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested in the story because I feel like, like, I'm not a Japanese person, obviously. I don't have that nationality. You're not so, a Japanese person? Wow. Uh, sorry, to, sorry to inform you. I've, I've been, been laboring <laughs> under delusions all these years. <laughs> but I have been to Japan, as you know, to, to talk to Yuji Oh, Yujihori. right, you have. Yeah, and you went to Shinjuku a couple years ago to go give Yuji Hori a hug. I, I don't think I hugged him. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> you got a picture with him, though. I did get a picture of him with him. Yes. Um, but the thing that shocked me, because I was, of course, jet lag as hell, and I was up at three in the morning. So I was like, yeah, I'll take a walk. Why not? There's so many homeless people in Tokyo, Shinjuku, just mm -hmm. lining the streets and living these quiet, silent lives. Because they disappear like mist in the morning. You will not see anybody. And God, I saw this older Japanese guy outside of the 7-Eleven just smoking his head off. And he just looked so sad and, and forlorn and almost on the verge of crying. And he just looked so alone. And I feel like Japan, had, we, we as Westerners have a certain image of Japan as this utopian society where every ha one has their place and everybody belongs. And I'm glad that Yakuza, like a dragon, is showing us that, no, it's not that simple. There are a lot of people who are off to the sides, discarded, but they have lives and they try their best and they still care about each other. And of course, they, they care about Ichiban. And they, they raised him, as he says, this whole city is my, is my family. So I am extremely glad that that's a topic that's being addressed by the RPG. I think that it is very empathetic toward the homeless in a way that I don't often see a whole lot in media in general. Right. Even among my friends who are nominally very progressive, they complain constantly about you know, the homeless folks who are in San Francisco and that kind of thing. Of course. It's, it's an issue in Toronto as well, like any big city, uh, definitely. And it's it's definitely, it's certainly a balance. And you you have to, it's very easy not to look at the homeless with empathy. and Or even as people. And even as people. Uh, especially, you know, if they're shouting at you or, or throwing something at you. And it's mm -hmm. just, you have to hang on to that. It's not their fault. I, I just do not regard a homeless person being on the street as their fault. It's a failing of society. It's our failing. Mm -hmm. And it's something that, as you said, does not come up in video games, like ever, practically. The discourse around Yakuza Like a Dragon has been fairly interesting because when people have really engaged with it, I, I, I do think that they've pointed out that there are some weird things like... Maybe it's portrayal of black people. Yeah. <laughs> That's been extremely great. Japan. Um, when there's a point where... You, so you can summon these characters called Poundmates. <laughs> right. And uh, there's a fairly ridiculous caricature, caricature of a, a black individual uh, 
maybe as the Japanese see them. Yeah, and that's, there's really <laughs> pops no up, excuse And I'm just for that. like, uh, they're speaking like this extremely broken Japanese, I want to say. It's hard to even tell. It's very heavily accented and seemingly done for very strong comedic effect if you're right. playing in the Japanese. Are you playing in English or Japanese? You know what? I started in English, but then I switched to Japanese because the English voices are fine, but I feel like Yakuza and Japanese just go together so much better. The review at Pace says, Yakuza Like a Dragon is like when you find a really good thread on Twitter, you're nodding along and you're telling yourself, yeah, tell them. And then in the penultimate tweet, they go completely horizontal and start advocating forced sterilization without even realizing it. <laughs> this discussion about how sex work is real work and how these women deserve the same respect as any other office employee is undercut by the same character advocating for their humanity with these women have no alternatives. Or... The owner of a soap land who purposefully hires women at the end of the ropes because their desperation makes for a better work ethic. Ouch. And it's basically saying, be on the side of that soap land owner who treats women who work for him like property. Yeah, go for it. And I'm just like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, honestly, I noticed that as well. See, I don't have the context just yet. But when you have a character like that who treats their women the way he does, uh, is it presented in a way that still makes him sympathetic? Like, oh, well, I'm still not a bad guy. And Ishaban says, oh, yeah, that's right. You're still a good guy. I think he's presented in a pretty sympathetic way, honestly. Like, because initially when you meet him, he, all uh, Adachi and Namna are like, screw this guy. Yeah. But Ichiban is like, I no, this guy's all right. He takes care of the women who are under him. And they're like, what? <laughs> and then the game presents him as somebody who does genuinely care. Uh, for uh, one of the people that you're kind of investigating what's going on with her and stuff like that. And it's right. just like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I can definitely look at a game. Like, I can definitely look at the game and say, okay, maybe you didn't handle this this topic as well as you should. And I really hope you do better next time. Uh, on the other hand, people are complicated creatures who um, who inspire many, many emotions. And Ichiban, one of his things, his, his main character trait, if anything, is he... He's so overbearingly positive about the people who raised him and the, the city he's from that maybe it blinds him to their many, many, many faults. There are multiple enemy types who can simply be summed up as black American men who wander around Japan, <laughs> jacked as fuck and armed to the teeth, just looking to start shit and kill people. Yeah, that's no good. That's no fucking good at all. And that should not be in there. I mean, Japan, come on. It's 2020. I'm sure someone can access Google and, and find uh, like translated reports of everything that black people go through not just in america but in the world all over and correct yourself please that aside i am very fond of yakuza like a dragon because i mean persona 5 had its issues as well and mm -hmm. could be pretty clumsy in the way that it tackled the various issues of that's happening in Japan and Japanese society, but it's also really earnest in doing that. And the thing that I like about Yakuza Like a Dragon, which I think is very <laughs> much like Persona 5, is that instead of teenagers, you have adults yes. who come from all walks of life. And uh, Ichiban is a extremely, I, I want to say, sympathetic guy, and they're fighting uh, systems of oppression. Like, the police are a major enemy uh, mm -hmm. in this game. And it's good, you know, it has great sense of humor um, and it's showing a different side of Japan that maybe a lot of Americans don't necessarily get to see. And while I certainly I'm going to call out some of the things that I'm kind of make me kind of go, oh, I don't know about that. I'm also going to say that I 
am enthralled with this game and I want to keep playing it. So, yeah, I do think despite those flaws, it is important because it shows us, as you said, that side of Japan that us as Westerners do not get to see very often. Uh, Persona 5 is a great comparison because they're almost like two sides of the same coin. Persona mm-hmm. 5, we see it through the eyes of teenagers who've had uh, very awful stuff happen to them, but kind of in a teenager sense in that we have to deal with teachers who are, who are sexual predators, teachers who, who are physically abusive, uh, a juvenile detention system that, that's really crap. And another thing to consider is that Persona 5 was under development for a very long time when things were certainly going downhill. But mm-hmm. Yakuza, like a dragon, is more of a product of the 2020, like 2016 to 2020 era. Uh, so you are going to get, um, you're almost going to see a realization of what happened. The problems that were cropping up in Persona 5 have kind of come to bear in Yakuza, like a dragon. And I doubt that was on purpose or anything like that, but it is pretty funny to think about. My my weekly my nightly ritual has been to get high and settle back and just really enjoy the just vibe along with uh yeah because I like a dragon and I like bits where you can go drinking because that's not a thing you do in Persona Five really you, you, like, know, you can't you go drinking <laughs> and yeah because I like a dragon you can have an actual conversation and then like bond and it's possible to bond over meals and that kind of thing it's great I love that uh, that part of Yakuza like a dragon is so well done. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool because, as you said, in Persona 5, you can't – we can have meals together, but you can't drink together. You're, you're too young. Also, I like how nerdy it is. I like how nerdy Ichiban is. Yeah, I mean, he's so into Dragon Quest, and obviously I'm, I'm totally down with that. He's – I just like the image of him growing up in that soap land, and all he really had to do was play Dragon Quest on some crappy-ass TV, and, and I haven't seen anything like – he just described the, the scenario to me, but I could just see it in my head. So we're going to keep playing Yakuza Like a Dragon and talk about it. Hopefully we can get into a good spoilery conversation with Reb and Eric Van Allen, That'd Rebecca be Valentine, uh, before US Gamer um, is finished. Um, another game that came out, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, Demon Souls. I haven't played it a whole heck of a lot, but you should go read John Learned's review of it. Um, I've said in the past that I'm a little like iffier on whether or not Demon's Souls is an RPG, as it were. Right. Um, you could say close enough, right? Because, I mean, you're leveling up your character and everything and how you build out your character matters. And there's like a strong vein of uh, dungeon crawling through it and all of that. But yeah. Um, so the thing that is interesting about Demon's Souls, I am, we were kind of talking about this last week. It's beautiful, Nadia. It yeah, is. I've seen I've seen the the movies and the screenshots. It probably doesn't do it justice, though. It really doesn't. This is a generational showcase, an early generational showcase. In a in a few years, it'll little look a little bit dated, but right now, amazing. Um, I was wondering when you were when this game was first revealed, you were a little bit worried about how Bluepoint, that's a studio, right? The, that did the the revision, yeah. how they might take away some of the grittiness of the game that's inherent to the game and really inherent to its personality and replace it with something a little more shiny and plastic like they did with the with Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, I'm guessing for you at least, that's not a concern. So this is the thing that's kind of interesting about Demon's Souls. When you play it, so much of the gameplay engine is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Where it seemed like 
from software was genuinely afraid of messing with the dynamics of the combat and they didn't want to piss off the fans. Which I understand. To the point where enemies will flop around just like they did back in 2010 (laughs) or you can clip through things it's weird right like the physics in a lot of ways are very similar to how they used to be it's just been glossed up and it's way prettier um but it does change things uh for sure um john learned in his review john knows souls better than practically anybody i know and he he writes Things like, in particular, it lacks the stark tone of the original release. The washed out color palette that players know so well is instead available as a graphical filter. Mm. Buildings, armor, and weapons are more opulent here and not the brutal medieval designs of the past. While I don't necessarily find these offensive in any way, returning fans may not take kindly to them. And he also mentions that the sound design, he goes, my jarring... More jarring is Demon Souls's new sound design. Simply, everything is just louder in this remake, which runs in contrast to the creeping quiet of the original game. The player character will grunt and pant with nearly every movement, even in their ethereal soul form. As a ground floor soul believer, I found it distracting and occasionally irritating. All of the music has been rearranged as well, often making it more majestic than it needs to be. The Nexus seems in particular now have a more pious tone to them, complete with choirs, which, again, runs counter to the starkness of the original game. Man. Uh, honestly, I didn't really necessarily notice this thing when I was playing it, but also it's been like 10 years since I played Demon's Souls. <laughs> I was just like mostly going, this is pretty. <laughs> yeah. This is nice. But imagine being like a ghost and you still have to like exert yourself and pant and grunt and that would suck if you're dead. Why are you doing that? Some of the character models... Um, in Demon's Souls stood out to me as maybe a, a little bit out of place. Like I was mm-hmm. going, this looks like something that, you know, Bluepoint pulled out of their library, not something that From Software designed. Right. It, it was jarring to me. Some of the, the human characters in um, in Demon's Souls, especially the ones hanging around in the Nexus. Um, and Austin Walker was pointing out that there's a bit at the end where there's an expression that stood out to him that may have been subtly different from the original game, but really changed the meaning to him in a lot of ways. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I did see some complaints early on about monster models uh, being changed and not for the better, at least according to the people who were complaining. So I think people, even though the Demon Souls remake has largely gone over well, um, it's not without controversy. I mean, as always, right? <laughs> Especially when you talk about a Souls game, like you have to be, I mean, we all know how Souls fans are a little bit, just a little bit persnickety. So just a tiny bit. Persnickety. I like that word, don't you? Yeah, it's a really nice word, isn't it? It is. And it, it describes what's going on here. I'm not criticizing them. Souls is basically a science that I do not understand, but I respect the people who do understand it. So I, I can get why maybe there's a little bit of grumbling over Demon Souls, but I think that people will get over it and, and enjoy it for what it is. John was saying that, in his opinion, it's maybe for people who are new to the series exactly. and don't really understand it very well, who would appreciate the quality of life improvements that have been implemented. Um, as John Lerner said, never knowing how cumbersome the original game actually was. <laughs> was that the game you first reviewed for um, 1UP or... I didn't review it. It was Ray Barnholt, but I 
played it as well. And I was writing about it somewhat extensively for the blog because I really dug it at the time. Right. Yeah. Jank and all. Jank and all. But they've added a lot of changes that are really useful. Like, for example, um, gone are the long wait times when dipping in and out of the Nexus for necessary post-boss errands. The oh. load times between the locations measuring in only a handful of seconds. Archstones in individual worlds can now be used for fast travel. And after killing an archdemon, a key item is given to the player that will let them travel fast travel to any open node, cutting down on a lot of an unnecessary running around found in the original game. Wow. It, even though it retains the combat and the feel and the physics, it is seemingly much more for the people who are relatively new to the series. That said, they did not include an easy mode because they were afraid of destroying the original intent. What do you think of that, Nadia? Uh, I think that was the right idea, not because I'm against an easy mode, but just because imagine if Bluepoint took that decision into their hands, someone would drop a nuke on them. Like, it would just, they would be gone. They'd be destroyed. <laughs> no more Bluepoint? No more Bluepoint because someone killed them because they put in an easy mode. <laughs> I, I, we've had this conversation before. We have. I think that it's a slightly exhausting conversation isn't extremely you know that meme with uh what's his face from grand theft auto saying ah shit here we go again that's mm -hmm. what it is and souls the Soulsborne games are what they are they and, really are uh, and i accept that um i'm just not gonna fight with people over it anymore <laughs> i'm not blue point um blue point I, I don't begrudge blue point wanting to stick with that with what from software wanted to do with the series um but on the other hand a remake is a good opportunity to put your own stamp on the series but they also knew that soulsborne fans would have lost their mind and that the discourse would have been incredibly toxic so i don't blame them for wanting to avoid it yeah sometimes it's just best to just avoid that controversy as you see it looming over the hill i feel like i've said toxic discourse like five times this episode <laughs> between yakuza and cyberpunk and demon souls well, that's video games for you right everything is toxic the whole thing's a toxic waste dump you just got to put on your radiation you know, suit and keep on going speaking of demon souls you know i haven't turned my ps5 on in like a week really aren't you it, playing yakuza on it no of course not it's not a ps5 no i'm though. playing on my xbox of course right I and this thing i like my ps5 better than my xbox it's just that i've been playing yakuza and assassin's creed valhalla mostly which are on my xbox the thing that's annoying me is that the ps5 feels quote-unquote more next-gen than me because the xbox is so similar to the xbox one yeah so i i feel like i'm turning on a souped up xbox one every time i turn on my series x and i'm like looking longingly at my ps5 and i'm like i should go back to demon souls <laughs> it kind of bothers me because my playstation 5 is sorry my playstation 4 is extremely worn and broken in like when I do upgrade to a five, I will absolutely feel like, okay, take a rest, soldier. You've earned it. But with I didn't use my Xbox One like hardly e ever, so it's just not going to feel like I'm retiring a system. Moving on from an RPG that the RPGs that are very well known, like Yakuza Like a Dragon and Demon Souls, the ones that are kind of dominating the discourse at the moment. Let's talk briefly, Nadia about an RPG that maybe is not getting the attention that it deserves, but could be the sleeper hit of 2020. And that's Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. This is an interesting one, Nadia. Mm -hmm. So if I were to describe it, I would say it looks like Muramasa the Demon Blade meets Stardew Valley. Yes. Um, 
there was a really good review by our friends over at Good Vibes Games. Um, you should go check it out over on YouTube. It does a has a really good overview describing everything that's involved in it. But the TLDR of it is, it's the story of Sukuna, a spoiled goddess who is banished to an island of demons, <laughs> who has to protect the strangers who are on this island. Uh, this this family of humans. Uh, who are trying to raise rice, uh, be able to have harvests through each of the seasons, but are also dealing with monsters because they live on Monster Island, which is just a name. It's just a name. It's actually, pen- it's actually a peninsula. It's actually a peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great line. Um, I like that you really get to know the characters as you work in the, uh, work the fields, have meals with them, that kind of thing. Um, they're like these really charming, lovely characters. Sakuna herself is a, a fun character um, by their own right. The combat is surprisingly deep. It is a rather attractive game. It's on Nintendo Switch. It does look quite I good. I feel like the only reason that this game is being overlooked right now is because of the next-gen console launches and the fact that so many other games are coming out right now. Yeah. Um, the way I understand this game, from what I have heard by people who have played it, it takes rice extremely seriously. This is not rice is serious business, rice, Nadia. I know. Of course, it is in Japan. It's everything like it's staple food, but it's not like it's not. This is not Stardew Valley where you have a grid and you lay down vegetables neatly and you just water them and boom, you have tomatoes. Uh, I think it was Eric who told me that there's a certain uh, link in the main site. Like if you're looking for instructions, they basically give you a link that takes you to the to Japan's official government. Uh, site about growing rice so that's what you're getting into and that's kind of neat because i've always wondered about the the intricacies of growing rice i think the thing is that initially you don't really know what you're doing and the main character doesn't know what she's doing right right but as you level up you gain more and more skills and it becomes easier and easier to be successful at growing the rice and you do start to get visual aids and that kind of thing so it's a little bit of mechanical storytelling in the way that it has the it puts you in the shoe of the main character who doesn't know how to do rice, grow rice, and neither do you. So Yeah, um I kinda like that because I'll feel like an idiot at first, but that's okay because his goddess is an idiot too. <laughs> we can be idiots together. I don't think Eric liked the game all that much, but mm-hmm. I don't want to say he's wrong, but I see he might be in the minority here. I feel like I'm hearing good things about it. Well, it's kind of repetitive of might course. be the problem. Yeah, but that doesn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're fighting demons. You're doing the same thing kind of over and over again. Though, as you level up over time, you do gain new tools, new ways to harvest the actual rice and everything. So there is a sense of growth and a sense of story progression because you are getting to know the individual family members and that kind of thing. Right, which is important. And you're becoming more and more successful and... More and more, like, yeah, I'm into a flow. This game has a flow to Mm -hmm. it, I think. And when you find that flow, it feels really good. Uh, The combat itself is side to side. Um, That's why I mentioned Muramasa, the Demon Blade. Um, You can attach abilities to the directional cuts. You can toss demons into one another for massive damage. And there's some pretty dope demons designs in this game, Nadia, including the Camellia Toad, which is a giant frog, but it looks cool. Yeah, um, this is definitely a game that I might give... Uh, I might give a download. I'm definitely curious. I did not have a lot. I feel this is a game that I feel like I've been seeing for years and years and years at various game shows. Like I would always see Sakuna of Rice and Ruin it, you know, in the PAX. Yeah. 
as I'm walking past at E3 or PAX or whatever. And I never really paid it that much mind. But one of the things that I really like about it is that even though it has that kind of 2.5D or 3D look to it, it manages to be just stylized enough that it's still actually really attractive. Mm -hmm. And I like the the depth and the care that they put into both the relationships and into the the harvesting systems and into the combat. So it is a game that maybe shouldn't be overlooked quite as much in the way that it is. And maybe if it had come out on Switch over the summer and instead of during the really busy yeah, release it, season, it would have got more attention. Could have been another Octopath Traveler, which came out at a really good time. Yeah, if it had come out in like August, it might have garnered more attention at the very least more sites would have reviewed it i think yeah because of course we got the code and it's like well who the hell has time nobody also we don't have anybody left on the site to review it (laughs) oh it's kind of sad actually but we're we're keeping on keeping on but it's on nintendo switch and steam and some other things as well. yeah anytime you put a game like that on nintendo switch it's an easy sell for me i don't know i am more and more just like oh it's on steam i'm just gonna get it there I guess you've been spoiled by all the next-gen shiny. So it's it's very available, which is good. I, I do hope more people give it a try. Okay, so we don't have any World of Warcraft experts here, but... Mike is gone. <laughs> I watched a lot of videos, dang it. Good for you. About the state of Shadowlands and World of Warcraft Classic. And there's a lot happening in that space. So I'm just going to share it with you really quickly, even though I really don't care about World of Warcraft. <laughs> You're taking the sacrifice. This is all Mike. This is this is all Mike. This is all jazz. They're like 100% immersed in this world. And it's a world that I find kind of fascinating because maybe in an alternate universe, I would have found, fallen into that world as well. It's just I didn't have a PC from 2004 yeah, to 2007. And exactly. So I never really had an opportunity to get super into WoW. But uh, so this is a state of where WoW is right now. So when this episode comes out, World of Warcraft Shadowlands will be released. Uh, it's due out on November 23rd, the week of Thanksgiving. I feel so bad for oh, Blizzard. Good luck, employees who are going to be stuck fixing bugs. Um, the thing that's really interesting in the WoW community right now is that everybody's playing WoW Classic. They aren't yes. playing real. They aren't playing current WoW. And current WoW and classic WoW, WoW Classic, very different experiences, very different games. Uh just way different in terms of how they handle rating, in terms of how they handle uh, community interactions, that kind of thing. Um, there are way more quality of life things happening. You can kind of, my understanding is that you kind of can spend your way to the level camp if you really want to Yeah, uh, in Shadowlands. It's for tracks. two different kinds of people, I want to say. Which is fun. I thought for sure that WoW Vanilla would be a fad that would fade out, but no, it's uh, it's chugging along. Everybody thought that, but, you know, a year and a half later, uh, the servers are still very successful, like still very full. Game is still very successful. People are totally into it. Um, That could be coming to an end on December 1st, because that is when the next Ramus update is coming out. And that's pretty much the end of WoW, like WoW Classic. And it's going to be an interesting situation because theoretically that means no more updates right mm. but what do you do with an mmo that's actually very successful because wild classic is still very successful people are still digging it. it is not a fad but there's no more content to be released 
they're so, going to have to find a, something to do with it. <laughs> well, this is what's going to happen. They're going to release Burning Crusade, mm-hmm. which is the first WoW expansion that came out uh. in like 2007 or whatever. And most people agree that that's basically a more refined version of WoW Classic. And so everybody's just going to migrate over to that. Wow. People, wow about wow. People are just very nostalgic for for old WoW, I suppose. And uh, I guess when a game's been around that long, it's natural. What's wild is that they didn't even remake it. No. They just hit the reset button. <laughs> it's like, yeah, here, here's the original game. People are like, I love this. And you're, like, you're, you're, okay, what? <laughs> okay. Three polygon orcs. Here you go. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it looked as it did in 2004, and people are into it. Like I said, the nostalgia for classic WoW is real. Oh, well, good for them, I suppose. Whatever gets you through 2020. I think the thing, though, is that aside from the fact that I think WoW Classic was a great opportunity for people to reunite with their guilds and yes. get back together with their friends and play this game that they loved and get back to this experience that they were having in the mid to late 2000s. And WoW itself was a very good MMORPG in its day. Uh, at the time, it was kind of jokingly derided as being for casuals. But mm. nowadays, when you look back at a classic WoW, you're going to go, well, this is a very deep and interesting and good, well-made RPG, MMORPG. There's a reason that it became out, became the most significant game of the 2000s. Yeah. The Minecraft of the 2000s. <laughs> I thought Minecraft was the Minecraft of the 2000s. So, I mean, Minecraft came out in 2011. But, oh, okay. There you go. That's fair. Uh, it... So I guess we shouldn't be surprised that it's lasted this long. So No, I mean, uh, I think there is just a certain person who really enjoyed uh, the somewhat brutal MMORPGs of that era, and they stuck to it. Like I've said, uh, a former boss of mine, her husband still plays Final Fantasy XI, like gets together with his guild and beats the hell out of whatever needs beating the hell out of. So there is certainly a, an audience for that non-coddling MMO experience. Well, the difference between classic WoW and modern WoW is you would get together with a a guild and you are conquering the content. Mm-hmm. Now you're just doing the content. Like everybody can beat the content. It's right. just how how well you can beat the content. Right. You know. Yes. Whereas in classic WoW, it's just like, yeah, good luck. This content's <laughs> freaking hard. You're gonna need a guild. <laughs> Yeah, and for someone like me who just has no interest in joining a guild or anything like that, I'm just perfectly fine with a more story-based MMO like Final Fantasy XIV. I think joining a guild can be really fun. I'm sure it could. You find the right guild, they become kind of like a family, and I think there are so many stories, and and I know of some of them myself in like real life, where... People, these guilds are still together after 15 years and they're like best friends and they're going to each other's weddings and they're having reunions <laughs> and nice. stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. That that kind of social experiences can be a really special thing in video games, especially if like, you know, you don't have a lot of friends or family in real life and you, you need that comfort. People like deride that. I but know. I think that can be a huge comfort, honestly, especially if you're going through a rough time in your life. Yeah, I think one thing, uh, I mean, when we all discovered the internet, I think a lot of us gained a lot of friends that we didn't have when we were just kids in school. Oh, I mean, I know I did. Yeah, Like some of my, to this day, some of my best friends are the people that I met in high school 
chatting on IRC. Yeah, same. Same with me. I have friends I've known since 1995. Yeah. And these were people like you would have been like, oh, they're not real friends. Well, they were real friends to me. (laughs) It's real to me, man. Uh, Yeah, that was a problem in the 90s, as you probably recall very, very strongly, is your internet people they are not real. They're not really real friends, mm. but they were. Of course, they were real friends. Yeah, it was considered weird to date somebody from that you met on the internet. No, everybody dates everyone on the internet. It. It's the it. only way to date. I met my husband over the internet and everyone was just freaked out. They're like, how do you know he's not a stalker? How do you know he's not crazy? Well, he's fine. <laughs> he's a person. So that's uh, that's what can, WoW can do. And <laughs> having gone on that very specific tangent... Um, <laughs> World of Warcraft Shadowlands, here are some of the things that you should know about it. Um, If you kind of bounced off WoW and you're coming back to it for the first time, basically, WoW Shadowlands rolls back everything that Battle of Azeroth did wrong. Oh, really? (laughs) Battle of Azeroth was not a very popular expansion. People really found that one particularly annoying. It rolls back a lot of that. Uh, The people who are doing the previews of Shadowlands are saying classes feel like classes again. It's good. It has a lot of uh, one of its main things is it has these covenants, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit soulsy in that you have these sub factions that you're joining who give you unique perks, abilities, traits and everything. Um, and you have to choose one at level 60, I want to say. And uh, some fans were griping about it because, quote, it's the first decision of consequence they've had to make in about 10 years. <laughs> That would be quite jarring. And the main issue is that you can change between them immediately, but in order to build yourself back up in making that change, it's kind of a pain. And then you can't easily switch between them because there's like cooldowns and everything. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of timers involved. And the main question right now is how much of a pain in the butt are the timers going to end up being? Right. Oh boy. Good old timers. Yeah, don't you love them? Oh, they're great. Just what we all want. But it will be out this coming week. It everybody, I expect that there will be a surge of people being like, oh, I'm going to check out cla- uh, current WoW, just to see how it's going. I don't like how it's going. Back to <laughs> classic WoW. <laughs> At least you always have that cushion to fall back on. So that's where WoW stands, Nadia. And mm. I know that you're like all about Final Fantasy XIV, but here we go. 15 years later, WoW's still going. WoW's still grinding away. We didn't, you know what? If we didn't have WoW, we would not have Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> all right. And that is pretty much it uh, for our survey of all of the RPGs that are happening right now. Are there any RPGs that you are playing, dear audience, that you feel like we should be talking about I know that uh, one of the games on the list that we didn't really get to was Banner of the Maid, which came out last year, but it's out on Nintendo Switch, uh, Xbox One, and PS4 now. And I think it might actually be worth checking out because it's kind of Final Fantasy Tactics, but in the French Revolution, I'm kind of digging it. It does look actually. it does look really cool, actually. French Revolution anime, kind of the way that uh, Valkyria Chronicles mm-hmm. is World War anime. It did remind me a bit of Tactics, more like Tactics Ogre or... Uh, uh ogres uh the one on the super on the super nintendo i can't remember which one that was ogre battle uh but yeah it apparently had great reviews has anime generals with big boobies um it looks like fun what more do you need the only thing that's like troubling is uh, like as i was kind of alluding to when talking about assassin's creed valhalla like i only have so many hours in the day and there's a lot of rpgs that need to be covered 
And so it's kind of a situation of, okay, what can I focus on? Right now I'm choosing to focus on Yakuza Like a Dragon, but I don't want these RPGs to fall between the cracks, you know? Right. But uh, our Christmas vacation is coming up. Just relax for a couple of weeks and see what you can catch up on. That's my plan. I'm going to lock myself in my room and not talk to any (laughs) of my family, not look for a new job. I'm just going to play RPGs, goddammit. That's the way to do it. That's the only way to get caught up on our backlog, I think. All right, dear audience, as I was already saying, if you want to share RPGs that you're playing that you feel are being unjustly overlooked, let me know. Cat.bailey at usgamer.net or send me a tweet. My DMs are open. Okay, Nadia, let's continue on to the track of the week. Okay, Nadia, it's time for the track of the week, the segment in which we explore the music of the role-playing genre because it is so very, very important. This week, since we were talking about Yakuza Like a Dragon, I think it's only fair that we have a little bit of music, maybe a little karaoke. See if you recognize this song. Yes, that song is Machine Gun Kiss, a song sung by Adachi, <laughs> our favorite disgraced cop who is not very good with money. And so he's just like, oh, I was supposed to have my pension in a week and now I'm broke. Well, <laughs> well now what do I do? And so he's tagging along with uh, Ichiban and Namba. And um, this song is interesting, Nadia, because first of all, it's fun. It's yes. a very catchy, very energetic uh, kind of rock mm-hmm. anthem. Very karaoke. Um, very karaoke. It's fun to sing. Uh, there are people who have actually sung this song in karaoke in real life, which I think oh, is pretty cool. that makes sense. That's pretty cool. Machine Gun Kiss is also a bit of a mainstay, Nadia. It's a song that has appeared in Yakuza 4, 5, and Dead Souls. That is, has been sung at various points by Kiryu, Shinada, and Adachi. I've... Before this, you know, Yakuza Dead Souls was the only Yakuza that I've actually played. Are you serious? Yeah, I, I reviewed Dead Souls. What did he think of it? It was not good. Oh. That like, I really of- liked it. Like, it was a fun kind of weirdo side story where I'm wandering through post-apocalyptic Camaracho and with, you know, the various characters from the classic Yakuza games like Kiryu, but now they're heavily armed and have, like, ridiculous... <laughs> 
weapons and everything. And you're still doing the side things like karaoke, except there are zombies and stuff too. So Okay, that makes sense. But can you do karaoke with the zombies? Uh, no, you can't. Or uh, at least S. that's not my recollection. But you know, you'll walk into a convenience store and the convenience people will pop up from behind the the counter wearing, you know, heavily armed and wearing helmets and everything. And they'll be like, oh, welcome. They're, they're still at work. I love how they still welcome you, even though they're like armed to the teeth. Very cheerily. Yes. yes. But uh, Yakuza Dead Souls, uh, the actual combat wasn't great, though. The, the engine was really straining under the under trying to do everything they did because they turned into a third base, a third person shooter. Which, right. Uh, yeah. Not really. Yeah. Not meant for that. But karaoke, believe it or not, has not actually been in every single Yakuza. It first appeared in Yakuza 3. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say it's become one of the most, it's become a mainstay. It's become one of the most popular elements of Yakuza. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, the interesting thing is that usually it's Kiryu singing Anka songs, which are these kind of sentimental ballads that are like a modern form of traditional Japanese music. Uh, right. When I was living and working in Japan... Uh, Japanese people that I would be working with would constantly make fun of Anka, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the way that, like, we in the West kind of make fun of, like, say, like, I don't know, what do we make fun of here? Disco. Dubstep, disco, yeah. Yeah. There's always something. It's seen as, like, this, at least when I was living there, it was seen as this insanely cheesy kind of music <laughs> that very old-fashioned and creaky. So maybe that's the fun of seeing Kiryu singing these, like, super sappy ballads. Yeah, that is pretty funny, actually. That's very suitable for him somehow. Yeah, it's like very soulful. Um, of course, in Japan, they like J-pop and K-pop and idol music and Western music as well. So, Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a series called uh, One Hit Wonderland, but it's basically a show about one hit wonders by Todd in the Shadows. And there's actually a trope uh, called Popular in Japan where this... Uh, this band that released a one-hit wonder in the West and became nobodies just wound up being humongous in Japan. Apparently <laughs> that happens like a lot. Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head, unfortunately. I know Michael Jackson was a big deal there. Guns N' Roses was a huge deal there. Like, I remember when I was mm -hmm. huge into Guns N' Roses, um, I would go to a lot of Japanese fan pages for uh, exclusive information. So, Nadia, what do you think of Machine Gun Kiss? It's very, very J-pop. I have never been a J-pop fan ever. <laughs> I kind of like it in front of like cheery, peppy anime intros from the 90s. Beyond that, uh, it's not something I would ever voluntarily listen to or sing. But uh, Adachi does kill it, especially at the end. I will always love Ayumi Hamasaki. Yeah, it's just not my jam at all. I, I, look, at the, I look at the idol scene and the K-pop and the J-pop and I'm just like, I guess part of it is nothing against the music. I like to know what the lyrics are. I like to know what the story is going on behind the story, behind the song. And obviously you can't easily get that with the Japanese songs to, or Korean songs unless you get translations. And of course, the translations are always a little bit weird because they have to fit with the rhythm of the, the song and it, it skews the meaning of the song to me. Uh, I And I'm not like a huge, huge pop fan in general. I, I kind of like pop. I'll listen to it, but... I've always been more into, like, rock and alternative. You're not a big fan of AKB48, then? What the hell is that? <laughs> it's a pop <laughs> group that I think literally had 48 idols in it. Jesus Christ, how does that work? Uh, there were, like, elections and stuff like that. It's kind of interesting. 
God, there was an episode of Gravity Falls where these these boy bands are being grown in laboratories, and they, they're I like teams. Now. Oh wow! Can rotate performances and perform simultaneously at several events. I'm so surprised they have fans because how do you be a fan of like J-pop singer number forty eight? Like, it's, well, it's, here's the thing: they all have their different names and personalities. Uh huh. So you pick the one that you like really like, right? Right. Where there was um. There's a whole bit in Game Center CX where Arino at one point is digging through posters for uh, various AKB48 uh, people. And he's like, I think he said, I want Baby Squirrel. I think that was the name of her. It's like, I want her. This is the one that I want. And like his producer really liked this other one. And so they were all they're digging through the posters trying to get the one idol that they like. Wow. That's uh, funny, but creepy. Yeah. Well, you know. Idol stuff, right? Very it creepy. is totally just idol culture, which has its own problems, but it is what it is. Beyond that, I love the karaoke segment because I love rhythm games, and they just—they uh, really go crazy with the productions and just having so much fun. Like this is Yakuza, maybe at its best, where it just really cuts loose and gets deeply, deeply silly. Oh yeah, like I adore the the cinematics that come with the song. Uh, and of course, I just like rhythm games, no matter what genre they are. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I do appreciate how Adachi just kind of kills it at the end. His voice goes up and there's explosions. And he, he does this thing with the microphone stand that's pretty incredible. Like, this really energetic spin. Perhaps it was always Yakuza's destiny to out Yakuza Yakuza. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps it was always Yakuza's destiny to out Persona Persona. Yes, as I said earlier, they do seem kind of bred from the same vat in a way. Bred and from the same vat. That's the way <laughs> yeah. of putting it. And they do complement each other very nicely. And I do wonder if, you know, if they're both under Sega, maybe someday we got a crossover. I think those properties would cross over really well. Oh, I keep forgetting that they all are under the same. Oh, maybe yeah, we'll they- get a Muso game and it'll be like Yakuza, but then also Persona. I gotta say, a Yakuza Muso game is something that I find very intriguing. I don't know if I want it to happen, but I want to glance at it from out of the side of my eye. As for Machine Gun's Kiss composer, it was composed by Yuri Fukuda. Fukuda is primarily associated with Yakuza and Super Monkey Ball. He's also worked on Binary Domain as a sound designer and Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Winter (laughs) Games. There are multiple composers who are associated with the Yakuza music. I have to say, I'm... I'm kind of a fan of the battle sequence because even though it's a little bit of a generic electronic uh, situation going on, mm-hmm. um, it has a really good opening riff. And then beyond that, it just works as good background music. Um, and they also change it up depending on where the locale is. So it doesn't right. get particularly old. Uh, yeah, like it it slaps. It does. I do appreciate any any RPG that changes the battle theme as you go from one locale to the other. That's so important to me. Please do it. Okay, that is the track of the week. If you want to submit your own track of the week, send along. We would really appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to skip letter time this week. I will just say thank you to all the people in the comments from this past week mm-hmm. who sent all of those extremely... Nice comments. I, you know, they mean a lot to us, I think. They do. This has been a difficult time for us, like mm-hmm. probably one of the most difficult times I've been through. And yeah. just having the assurances that people care, it, it means a lot. 
Yeah, it's been an exhausting few months because we've known about this. For we, quite we've a while, known about it for actually. a while. It's yeah. been hard to kind of keep positive through this whole thing, but we've done our yeah. best. And I think we still produce some good content in the interim. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because we like had the shock and the sadness and then we had the mourning and then we kind of got over it. And now like everybody is mad and mourning us and we're like, going, yeah. yeah, well, we're moving on. We've already moved on. <laughs> we've kind of gone through, we, we've gone through the stages of grief. We made our peace with it, but thank you. Yeah, we do. We still really do appreciate it. It's, it's not a great situation. How, no matter how no. much you look at it, it's a pen. No. I mean, I've been writing about games since 2004, and this was by far my most favorite job. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with you, working with Katie, who was way too talented for this industry, and I'm glad she got snatched up uh, because nobody is paid what they're worth, that's for sure. So yeah. it is what it is in the middle of a pandemic, but what are you going to do? Christatunity. Christatunity. I, I think that in a way, I'm looking forward to getting past this and having new opportunities. And this has been sort of the kick in the butt that we've needed to really take control of the pod in a really meaningful way and grow it. Because mm-hmm. I think that if this hadn't happened, we would have just continually continued to happily hum along, making not making a freaking dime on this podcast, which is stupid. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we deserve to get paid, damn it. It's about time that we... Uh, it's about time that we do more with the show. And I agree. I, and we have big plans, big aspirations, and we hope you are there for them. Okay. So. That is it for us. Thank you to everybody for listening to us. We'll be back next week as always. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore cap on Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash TV. Nadia's at twitch.tv slash Kitten. If you followed me on Twitch on Saturday, uh, you may have seen us playing Skies of Arcadia, which was mm. hopefully pretty fun. Like we're recording this on a Friday, so it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so but hopefully it all went. I assume it was a good time. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm, I'm planning on playing more Skies of Arcadia for reasons that Ooh. I'm not going to share right away, but secret reasons, podcast-related reasons. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. Okay, we'll be back next week as always. But until then, for Nanny myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. Yeah.